Holly Knoll, host of the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. If you've always wanted to start a business and don't know where or how to start, you've come to the right place. After leaving an unfulfilling corporate career, I decided it was time to start a business of my own. Today, I'm a business coach and creator of The Consultant Code, where I help people start services-based businesses in 60 days or less. So grab your latte because you're about to be inspired, armed with knowledge, and given simple tools to start a business of your own from my interviews with Everyday Entrepreneurs. Welcome back to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast, Season 2, where we're focused on women in tech. Today on the pod, I have a very close friend of mine, Mira Bhatia. Mira currently serves as Chief Operating Officer at Fabletics, and she's president of Textile OS. In this role, she oversees strategy, product, technology, media, supply chain, and global member services for Fabletics, the world's largest digitally native e-commerce brand. Prior to Fabletics, Mira was Chief Operating Officer at Stella and Dot, where she ran global product, engineering, and operations. And before that, she was head of product management for marketing solutions at LinkedIn. In this role, she built solutions for large brand advertisers, which honed her expertise in marketing strategy and growth. But before joining LinkedIn, Mira was a senior director of global product planning at hotels.com. Mira clearly has extensive global experience through her work at multiple global companies. In particular, while at Microsoft, Mira was the director of monetization for the EMEA region. During this time, she was living and working in London, managing a team spread across 10 countries in Europe. Mira holds an MBA from Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth and a BSA in mechanical engineering from the University of Pennsylvania. And last but not least, Mira is the proud dog mom of an adorable Bernese mountain dog named Saucy. So let me introduce to you, Mira Bhatia. Hi, Mira. Welcome to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Holly. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I I think this is so funny because usually I'm just talking to you on the phone or on FaceTime or talking about our dogs or what travel adventure we're going on next or I don't know, just what's happening. So it's kind of fun to have you here on the podcast and talk about It feels very formal to be on Zoom. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we could have done this on FaceTime, I guess, but I don't know if they have a record feature. But yes, it feels very, very formal. So just for the listeners out there, I before you introduce yourself, I want to just say that Mira is one of my very good friends, very close friends. And we have known each other for a long time. And I was thinking again today about like, I still think it's funny how I don't remember the first day that I met you because <laughs> we've talked about this. No, I don't remember either. but I. I think it was at a football. I think we were watching football. That's what I it was, think. It was at that 49ers. 49ers. Yeah, I think it was a 49ers game. At least that's my earliest memory of you. Yeah. And we were at that dive bar in San Francisco. Yeah. Yes. yes. I yeah. think. And that we have a picture from that day too, but I digress. Yeah. But yeah, so we've known each other obviously a long time, probably 10 plus years now. And it's been really cool to see you go through just different phases of your career, your life, see you go from one city to another and just kind of be along with your journey. And I'm excited to have you share some of your experiences today. And um, yeah, I'm, and because we're always talking about just like fun stuff and 
less work stuff. I'm excited to also talk to you about your career and and hear more about just how you got to where you are. So why don't you start with an intro and tell us who you are, how you got here, brief overview of your career, and, and then we'll dive in. Okay. <clears throat> Sounds good. All right. So let's see. How did how did I get here? All right. I'll start with I'll start with the beginning. Well, I'll start with college. So I had a mechanical engineering undergrad degree. And like many people who go to engineering, get in, I think, engineering degrees, I had no idea, or go to college generally, had no idea what I wanted to do afterwards. So went into consulting. So sort of started my career in tech consulting. And I think that's really what launched me into the rest of my, you know, my future career in tech. So started off on the consulting side, eventually went back to business school because I felt like hadn't been an engineer, I was sort of missing some key parts of my education that I needed to round out. So went back to business school, was really pretty focused even when I applied to business school about knowing I wanted to stay in tech, but I wanted to work for a company and like get out of consulting because I felt consulting companies all the time you come in and you sort of, you get to work on the strategy and the high level, but then you don't get to own the execution. And for me, that was important. I wanted to be able to own something and like see it through. So after I went to Dartmouth for business school and after I got my MBA, I jumped at the chance to go take my first job at a real tech company, which was Microsoft. So I was hired into Microsoft out of the MBA recruiting program at at, at Dartmouth, which is only important because I, I say like it really did help me kind of break in because I probably applied online to Microsoft like a thousand times before I went to Dartmouth, but to be in the right place at the right time where the recruiters were actually looking and that, you know, so obviously being in, being in school actually opened up that opportunity for me. So I went to, moved to Seattle from the East Coast. It was my first sort of West Coast venture, moved to Seattle because I was hired through the MBA, like sort of rotational program or hiring program. I didn't really know what team I was going to be on until one week before I showed up. I said I was interested in the online business. They were like, okay, well, you may or may not be in the online business. We'll let you know. And a week before I started, they said, okay, well, you're going to work on the ads team. So I started my product management career at Microsoft working on the ad side of the business, which you know we can talk about, but wasn't necessarily... I think my core passion, but I did that for a few years, eventually moved to London with Microsoft and then came back to the US after I was sort of done with my European adventure. Well, and when I was in London, I went to go for work for Hotels.com to get sort of consumer experience. So I led product for Hotels.com, then I came back to the US and was pretty focused on staying in tech, but wanted to be in the Bay Area, wasn't really into going back to Seattle. So came to San Francisco. I think that's when I met you. Uh, I was at LinkedIn at the time, spent a couple of years at LinkedIn and then wanted to do something smaller. So kind of did more of a startup in the retail commerce space and went to a company called Stella and Dot. Sorry, I'm going really quickly because I realized it was taking longer than I meant. <laughs> and then went to Stella and Dot, eventually kind of expanded out of my pure tech roles at Stella and Dot. So that's when I moved into a COO role. And then after about five and a half years, felt like I was just, again, ready to do something different. Took a little bit of break, of a break, took some time off, did some reflection. And that's when I ended up moving to LA to take this role with Textile Fashion Group, where I am a pe- president of our Textile OS division and also the COO of Fedletics. So it's me. In a nutshell. All right. Well, thank you for being I, on the podcast. <laughs> I, gosh, just hearing your journey, I, but I have so many questions. As you know, I'm a very curious person. I have a, always have a lot of questions, but a couple of things just really stand out to me is, and, and I find this with many people that I talk to who have very accomplished careers is, you know, things just, well, I just decided that I wanted to do this, or I just 
decided or I just went and did this. And and there's a lot of probably decision-making and and kind of thought that goes into these decisions. So I'd love to dive into just a couple of areas that really stood out for me. First of all, just starting your your education, your your college education with mechanical engineering. What was that like as, as a woman <laughs> in the... I mean, I'm sure it was majority women, right? No. Oh, yeah. Like, what was that like just going into that field? And, and what was your experience in school? So... I decided I wanted to be an engineer because I liked math and science in high school. And I like nothing made me more miserable than having to like read a history book. So uh, engineering felt like the the good sort of solution to combine those two. And then as far as like picking mechanical engineering, it really came down to like, I felt like electrical engineering was like the stuff you can't see. Civil engineering is the stuff that's really, really big and you you can't get your head around and mechanical felt like more like the stuff that you can see and understand on an everyday basis. So that's, it was like not the most selective process to come down on (laughs) mechanical engineering. It was just sort of based on the information I had. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think that has really sort of shaped maybe how I've felt in my approach to being in companies since then, because I was one of three women in my mechanical engineering class. And so from a very early stage, sort of being the only woman felt very normal. Like it was just what I was used to. Not, and I shouldn't say it was normal, but it was what I was used to. So it didn't feel odd to me. So, you know, I took that on into other companies where I almost in the very early stages of, of my career, it never even occurred to me that it wasn't normal because it was just what I knew. So yeah, it was, it was tough. I was also a varsity athlete, by the way, in college. So like I had a lot of competition for my <laughs> my academic time because I was also obviously on a team that was spending a lot of time training. What so, did you do? What what sport? I, I was a I, I know this, but I know you know that. <laughs> but so like not only was I, you know, one of a couple women in the class, I was one of a couple athletes. So like I was just like, I think I was a little bit of a different page than everyone else. And it was really hard. I mean, it was just hard. It was hard. That's well, all I can say. Like what, what was hard? Did you, did you feel like the guys like included you in group projects? Did you feel I never, included I by never, the professors or? No, I didn't. No, I, I don't. I mean, again, maybe I was, but I didn't feel that way. I think because it was a relatively small class of like people just turned, like it was, it was hard for everyone. First of all, I don't want to make, make it say that it was just hard for me, but it was like academically very difficult and everyone very, very much had like this kind of all in it together feeling. So there was never any sort of like, I'm on the outside. And I think also, I did happen to have two other very close friends from my rowing team who were also in my mechanical engineering class. So we were a little bit of like a core group, which was helpful because you had a couple of people who have shared experiences with you. So, so no, it was just like, it was a lot. I mean, it's just not an easy, I mean, look, it's like not an easy thing to study. Mm-hmm. And for me in particular, like in upon reflection, you know, maybe I would have done better in something else, but it was just what I was doing and I had to like get through it. And, you know, the first three years are relatively easy because they were math and science. And then you start to get into like the super hardcore, like vibrations class. And yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? <laughs> vibrations class. Yeah. And it's not what you think. Like. So, yeah, so there's just classes that were get, you know, they get really kind of theoretical and, and they're challenging. And then you pile that on top of the fact that, 
you know, I had like kind of a second career in college, which was growing and it was hard, but um, we made it. But yeah, yeah, for me at that stage, it never felt like gender wasn't a thing. Mm. It was just, it just was what it was. It was just hard. I, I now understand where you're going when you're saying it was, it was hard. You were balancing a lot of things. You had to push through a lot of highly competitive, very like important, you know, two very important activities on your plate first, first classes and then sports. Um, we'll come back to that because I, I think that's probably helped, you know, pave the way for, for your career. Unless you want to share true. how, how no. you think that's, I see some parallels. Yeah, I just think that it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly. I don't know. I'm curious when you say you see some parallels. It's hard for me to pinpoint exactly like how sports has shaped my career, but there's no doubt that it's like influenced my work ethic. And also rowing is a very team sport. So there's something about that, you know, that I think I kind of take into, I mean, it's like, I mean, you think about your like, I don't know, in like the 80s, there used to be that poster that everybody had on their wall. Like it was a picture of, it was like inspirational work quotes. And there was always this one about like um, with a bow and people being like, you all have to go in the right, the same direction to be successful, right? Yeah. It was like inspirational work quotes. But the, tr- the thing is, it's totally cheesy, but it's also true. But it's, so, so I think that taught me something. And yeah, I just think ability to also maybe section off like, okay, right now I'm doing the sports thing and then I'm doing the work thing and having to like make room for both in my life has also kind of helped me compartmentalize things a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So moving just into just grad school, business school, you, you mentioned that you, you knew that you wanted to get into tech in business school. So what, what made you decide that? Was there anything that you experienced in business school that you were like, you know what, technology is where I want to be next. What, what made your radar pick up there coming from yeah. chemical engineering background and, and now business? You know, it's almost the opposite thing happened. So like I said, I was in tech consulting prior to business school, but I, and and the last company I worked for before I went to business school was like more, it was, as I start to age myself, you know, like the beginning of the dot-com era and there was all this like internet strategy consulting and that's what we were doing. And it was like fun and, you know, it was kind of like the hot area and except that, you know, what wasn't satisfying was the consulting part of it about like walking away after we came up with something. So I literally wrote my business school essays saying that because I think they make you write like what do you want to do with your MBA and it was like this is what I want to do I wanted to be a product manager at Microsoft like there's literally an essay that I wrote for entry entry into one of the schools that says that now with all these things like sometimes you think like how did I end up I'm sure we all think about how did I end up on the path that I did like there probably could have been a hundred other things I might have been interested in but I happen I think by virtue of the time which was like the first dot-com era and like my you know, my core interests, I ended up in tech and I kind of focused on it. And then when I went to business school, I started meeting, and this is one of the advantages, I think like kind of one of the pros of business school is that you just meet a lot of people who've done a lot of really different things than anything you've done that I had not even been exposed to. And that happened to me when I went to business school. Like I just started meeting people who had been doing, who had had vastly different careers and were thinking about vastly different careers. And it kind of opened up to your, up your mind to, oh, maybe there's something else I can do, be doing now. And I actually, so kind of got sidetracked. Like when I went into my internship between first year and second year, I was like, well, wait, why am I thinking I just want to go into tech? Maybe there's something else I want to do. I've always been interested in sports. So I went to go, I did an internship for 
Puma and I oh. in like the marketing space because I was like, I'm going to try something really different this summer. And turns out I hated it. <laughs> and, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, which I don't want to like, you know, Puma's I'm sure wonderful, it's like wonderful company and it's for some people, but I didn't like the work. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think, and then, then I sort of self-corrected back my second year. I was like, nope, back on track. Want to stay in tech. Like I liked the pace of technology. I liked the feeling of creating. I liked all those things that felt like I, I didn't get them when I went into more like kind of traditional marketing. So, so yeah, it wasn't like something happened at business school. It was more like I tried something else and I was like, nope, not for me, right? I think I just like things that move pretty quickly that are tough, challenging problems. And for me, a lot of tech companies can, are, you know, that's, that's kind of their profile. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting how a job that is just so against that you, going in, you think, I don't know, I've had a few jobs where I'm like, oh, this is going to be so cool. It's like for this awesome, super sexy company. And then you go and you're like, or I've been like, oh my gosh, this role is just not for me. It's so yeah. awful. Or like, I now know what I don't want, which makes it yeah. much easier to narrow down into what I do want. So when you think about, so this is kind of going to be a double question, but when you think about what you do want, like what did that Puma experience teach you about like what is important to you as you looked to that, those next roles out of school? What what was important? Again, I, I say this cautiously because I, like I worked with some people at Puma like I, that I had respect for. It was nothing about. Sure, sure. And then, you know, but like for me, it didn't move very fast. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bureaucracy. I didn't feel like, I could see the scale of the impact of the things that I was doing. I felt like in the realm that I was in, I wasn't motivated and excited by the people I was around. Again, this is like one team for 10 weeks. I'm sure there's other places, you know, but like it raised for me that where, like how you do the work is, is almost as important as who, you know, what the work is and, Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be around people that I felt like could challenge me and were moving at a pace that, you know, I want to work at. Maybe better so that I don't like bash on Puma. It's like when I started interviewing after college, I actually looked at some real engineering jobs, like hardcore mechanical engineering jobs. And like I interviewed for those jobs and I would go into the interviews and I would see like it was literally all 60 year old white men. And I was like, this isn't what I want to be around. That's different. Yeah. All the time, right? And it just makes you realize, like, I just wanted to be around people who were not, I don't want to say, like, you know, younger, but that is an element because I get to the energy of the place. Like, I wanted more energy of where I was working. I wanted more diversity in thought. I wanted that's moving things, right? Like, all of those things were really important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it can be, I think it, you know, it just... Any experience, you know, that where you've just walked away being like, okay, I, this is what I don't want, just is so important because I, I, it's just so, it just shines a light of what, on what you do want. And what I'm hearing loud and clear is it's important how you get work done, the people you work with. The people you work with, it's so often important. So important. I've worked on some of the, like, the worst, like, most boring type of projects before. You're just like the most, like, mundane, like, I had this one role where I was working like production support. <laughs> And I, I never worked in production support in my life. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna be real crappy. And I, it's, I'm not gonna learn anything. And I'm just gonna, it's not sexy. 
And I worked with awesome people and an awesome team. And we were, it was obviously very fast paced and ever changing. But the the moral of that was the work itself is like textbook, this kind of sucks type of work. At, at least, you know, when you work in technology, it's not usually the sexiest part of a company, but it was so much fun because I loved, loved, loved the team I had and the yeah. team I was working with. Yeah. So that's something I learned early on is you could be in the sexiest role, but if the people around you aren't a fit for whatever reason around me, just it, then that can just blow the whole role out of the water. Who you work with and who you work for. <laughs> I think who you work for also has, in some ways, an even bigger impact. Of, like, I feel like that's so important. Yeah. Like, if you're looking at a job, <clears throat> like, lessons learned, if you were to go to, like, lessons learned, like, yeah you have to interview your manager as much as they interview you because that's going to have like such a big impact on your experience. How do you do that? What what questions? I, I think so often people go into interviews just trying to put their best foot forward and trying to convince the interviewer to hire them. Obviously, that's one part of the equation that they forget that it's also their chance to interview the company and, and their manager, their leadership. So how how do you recommend, like how does somebody do that without it feeling awkward or trying to control the interview or how does somebody do that while still maintaining like a, yeah. uh, you know, a well, I, think t- I mean, I think balance. timing on that is everything. Like on the one, it, you know, I wouldn't lead with that. Like I, I would definitely like focus on trying to get the job first, but some things that I do is I always usually interview with more than just the person you, you're going to work for. So I usually ask the other people that I interview when they hand it over for question, what their experience is, either working with or working for the person that I would work with. So that's one thing that I do. And then second, after, I, I think this is best thing for like, after you get a job offer, then you can demand all the time you want from the person you're going to work for and mm-hmm. go have coffee with them and sit down with them. It, you know, I know now everything's virtual, but like have another follow-on conversation and get a sense for their work style. I mean, you're not going to learn everything, but I think you can get, I mean, we're all pretty like intuitive people. You can get a read on a person pretty, pretty well through a one hour conversation. Like, am I going to, am I going to like working with this person on an everyday basis? And then what other people say that work for them is also really important. And sometimes, you know, very normally some of going to be like, oh, I hate them. But you can, you can catch and like the little get a vibe. Yeah, you can talk, like when they're like, oh, well, you know, she's good at this and like, but you know, this other thing and, like, okay, that's a very diplomatic way of saying she's a control freak, right? Yeah, like, big yeah. red flag. I'm just reading between the lines here. Yeah. yeah. I think that's important I, to do too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that's, I've been in many interviews where you're out of time at the end and I don't have a chance to answer, ask questions. And so I think you raise a good point that you can always ask for follow-ups or additional conversations, especially if the, the process gets farther down the line where you're considering an offer. But just to back up really quick, I think there's one point in your career, and maybe there's more than one point, but one point that you mentioned was where you made you made a leap and you, you expanded out of your just very tech-focused role into a leadership role where you're leading a company. And I, I saw you do that at Stella and Dot. And I remember when, when you moved through multiple, like bigger and bigger leadership positions there and saw you, you know, move out of the the purely product role there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously that doesn't just happen. What was the process 
of of what you took to get there? Like what kind of things fell into place? What parts did you drive? Like, and for women out there who are kind of in that like senior leadership role, like a director, director plus senior director role, like how how can they expand out of that and kind of build their sphere of of responsibility in an org, like what you did? Yeah, I think, well, I think first thing I started with is like, you know, I moved out of pure tech companies into sort of what I'm called more hybrid, right? It was very technology driven, but, you know, we were selling a physical product. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the success of the business is driven by just more on the t- than just the technology, as opposed to, for example, when I led product at hotels.com, like, but, I mean, yes, the success of the business is driven by like the pricing you get on hotels, but like the core consumer experience ultimately drives the business. And so I, at a at a pure tech company, I think you can move very, 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 very far up the ladder from just staying focused in product, right? You can be a chief product officer. And then in fact, that was actually my first role. At Dollar Dot too, that was sort of the, the C-level role as chief product officer. And I was still focusing on, I, I took on engineering at that point. So it was still within the tech speed sphere. But once you get outside of a pure tech company, like if you want to expand and grow your career, like you're going to have to take on more than just the tech side. So I think that's the first thing is like, you should decide if you're just interested in like pure tech companies, you don't necessarily need to diversify as much. Like if you look at the CEO of LinkedIn, which is where I am now, like he was a product manager. Like I worked like with him <laughs> when I was there, he was a PM and he's now the CEO wow. of LinkedIn, which is like a massively, obviously successful tech company. So you can go very far as just a product leader is my point. And then, but at a, when you go into other, the other world where you can still do really interesting technology comp- at work, but there's more to the business, you kind of have to expand your your functions in order to to to, to grow. So for me, that was like, really the conversation and, you know, my comment about who you work for is really important too. Like I had a very open dialogue with Jessica, who is the CEO and founder of, of Stella Dot about when I was learning, when I was feeling like I was tapped out, like when I was ready for more. And actually she also pushed me on that too. Like, so I remember when, when taking on engineering, that was her idea. Like, I don't think that I, that was my first step out of pure product. And I didn't raise my hand for that. Like she kind of encouraged me to do it. And I was pretty nervous about it because I felt like, you know, I wasn't a computer science like engineer, right? I was a yeah, I obviously had an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering, but I had not practiced as like a developer. And I thought that it was going to be really hard to lead a team of engineers, especially by the way, of course, which is mostly men at that point. I mean, not, you know, we were somewhat balanced more so than some companies, but not, it was still not, you know, 50, 50. And I was like, how are they going to like this? I don't have the credibility. I'm not a developer myself. And she's like, no, 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 I think you can do it. So took a little bit of a push. And I think that often comes like you have to have, you know, managers who are your champions and your sponsors to help you take on more. And turned out I did it. It was fine. It actually worked out great. Engineering team ended up loving it because they felt like they were closer to product. Like that's what they told me. Maybe they, you know, maybe they sneakily hated it, but I think they loved it. Oh. So it seemed like it worked. And then beyond that, then once I sort of took my first step out of like function, you know, managing the thing where you're not the domain expert, then it became natural to take on more. So first push was because a manager encouraged me. And then beyond that, it was really just an active conversation about like, I'm ready for more, I'm ready for more. And and it happened organically that way. And that's also why I eventually left. And it was like a very good conversation with Jessica of like, I'm, I'm kind of 
there's no more for me now because I'm sorry, you know, I've taken, she's still here. I've taken quite a lot of responsibility and for me to keep growing as a person and in my career, it's like, it's probably time for me to move on. And that's why, you know, we worked out a transition over time. So it was just, it was very helpful to have somebody that you could have those kind of conversations with. Yeah. I mean, it stands out loud and clear that she clearly was an advocate for you. Huge and, advocate. And that yeah. makes a big difference. I've had a couple really big advocates in my career that I think have been largely responsible for skyrocketing me to like the next stage of my career. Jessica is one of them. And I, one of my managers at Microsoft is another one. I need an advocate. Key. Yep. What, I guess, as you, you mentioned, like, as you take on more and more roles, you know, more and more areas that maybe you're not, obviously not the the smartest person in the room about, like, you know, engineering was a start, you know, in your role now with textile and fabletics, you oversee just a ton that you're obviously not the the biggest subject matter expert on. So have you kind of, and I'm just a systems and process person. So have you kind of systematized this a little bit where you take on a new area, like this is your approach to kind of gaining credibility and like kind of learning and like, how do you approach, I guess, have you come up with some sort of a way that that you familiarize yourself and gain credibility with the team so that you can quickly just, you know, kind of come in and, and just keep things moving? Like, how do you, I guess, how do you do that? And, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say like, since I think I guess maybe I haven't been that formulaic about it, maybe it's worth it, but I also maybe feel like a I, good thing though. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know, but I also think like the situations were really different. Like, it's a different thing to be, for example, at Stellandot, which was a, a relatively small company and start to take on more because I was taking on more for function of people who, who, like I kind of already knew them, right? Like even though I didn't manage them, I had a high level of familiarity with them because I was so involved. Um, I was just involved in everything anyways. And so I, there wasn't as much learning that needed to happen because I had already been exposed to them. So in those cases, it was much more like, I have a new leader underneath me. We have to find our way of working together. And I have to figure out, you know, what I can bring to that person to help them be successful. Whereas when I started at Textile, it was like, I, I took it all on at once. And so there was a lot of learning that needed to happen across all of the groups. And then, you know, by the way, it happened, you know, I started in February, 2020. And obviously global pandemic broke out three weeks later and <laughs> I managed supply chain and the supply chains melted down and I wasn't in the supply chain ever. So like, you know, sometimes some sink or swim. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like trial by fire. You can figure it out. But I, I generally find like what I've learned is the way to be successful is to just one, admit that you don't know everything and be like, humble about it. Like, I think the worst thing that could happen is if I came into an area and was like, yeah, I, I got this. And like, it's very clear that I have very senior people on my team who actually are the ones that got it and like understand. But so I don't pretend, number one, but then I just, you know, I'm patient to try to learn. And then there is actually nothing like a fire drill to make you go deep in something and learn it really fast, <laughs> you know? So like, I know more about supply chain now than I think. I ever thought I would in my career, but I had, cause I had to, I had to get, I had to go deep. And so I think I just, maybe the answer to your question is like, I, I try to be patient and take the time where I can have the time in areas that weren't on fire. Like I just deferred learning about them for, for six months, unless there was actually like, a, I was there for like the leader if they needed anything and try to connect the dots, but I wasn't going to like spend a ton of time going really, really deep in the function. Uh, and then, you know, I spent my time where it ne the business needed me to, and I learned it. And then 
ultimately, I think when you get to, you know, when you get to the level when you have like SVPs reporting to you, it's really not about having to, like your role is really to un, to facilitate information flow, to be there to help them unblock, to help them think more strategically about things. It's not to like be the expert on how to go set up a fulfillment center, right? Like that's not the expectation of my role. Right, right. I mean, just even hearing like when you have SVPs reporting to you, to me, that sounds like very intimidating. So I guess how how do you just continue to like maintain your confidence level, even though obviously they're, they know so much about their subject matter, ex, you know, subject matter areas and yet maintain your confidence and your ability to lead them in ways that, you know, aren't directly tied to their areas. Like how do you help them block them and inspire them to keep going and, and be that, like that leader, um, like when, when they're playing at that level and, and you're at a C level to me that I don't know. That sounds really scary. I don't know. You should ask them if I do a good job at it. <laughs> Give me their names. I'll interview them yeah. next. Or them. Yes. What's your management style? What's your approach? Yeah. So what I do think at this point, and I've had people who work for me say this to me, that at this point, my strength is like inputting the pieces together, right? And like seeing the connections. So having a conversation with, one team recognizing that there's this problem and then realizing that this other team is doing something that could be helpful and like bringing that together or bringing the right people in the room to discuss how to solve a problem. And like, I, I think I just focused on that. Like my, my role is now not, yes, I manage these functions, but my role is not to like manage them. My role is to help figure out how the business moves forward. And mm-hmm. so my role is to like, put it all together, I guess. And I just focus on that much more than I do on like the micromanagement of mm-hmm. how are you dealing with your team? But I'm also available. Like they also know, right? Like nothing makes me happier. Like you talk to our CTO, like I love who, who reports to me. Like I love geeking out with him about like just <laughs> random stuff. Like, well, I can talk to him all day about a headless CMS, you know, but like, <laughs> so I'll go deep on things when, when he wants to. But when, or just, you know, when he wants somebody to bounce ideas off of, but really my, my strength is in like stringing together when my CTO and when my head of fulfillment or, you know, customer service, like how they can work together and how together they can move something forward for the company. So I try to focus on that more so than like what's going on in their area. I love that. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, no one like, likes a micromanager and at that level, especially. I mean, just having somebody I mean, that can connect the dots and see the big picture across the entire org. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like. So, can I can I come work for you? <laughs> just um, I would just want to go yeah. get drinks and and travel and talk about our next trip and whatever. No, but but in all seriousness, I think that is the type of leader that I mean, who who doesn't want that? Somebody that is an advocate and can help unblock and and can help people just move forward and and have the eye of the organization. I'm lucky to have that right now. It, my consulting company as well that I haven't had in a few roles. So it yeah. with my consulting role, I should say. Yeah, my current company. So it's just re- refreshing and just to know someone's not always like 
watch you know, every single thing you do, but they're rather if you need anything. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, I think if I, if I put myself in those people's shoes, right, like nothing drove me more crazy than when my manager would be like all up in my business. So I try not to be like that. I mean, I also do it like, Again, I kind of laugh, like, I don't know if you talk to them, they might, they might say I'm way more in the details than they'd like me to be, but, but that's what I try to remember, right? Like, I, I'm not there to run the function. I'm there to move the business forward. Yeah. And yep. those are two different things. So what, just as we're kind of wrapping up our time here, I've got like a couple of little quick hitter questions to ask you. So if you just want to like kind of answer what whatever comes to mind first. Obviously, no right or wrong. And these are all questions you've seen. I prep my guests so that they're not completely surprised. Okay. But if you could think of one thing that you're just most proud of in your career, what what would that be? Um, you know, I think it's just that I well, it's not one thing. It's two things. I have to say two things. Yeah. One right. is like the self-sufficiency of just having made my career happen. Like I am proud of it. And sometimes I have to take moments to like reflect on that like you know my parents are immigrants they they moved here you know I, it's not like I'm I'm coming from like a family legacy of um wealth and opportunity right and so not to say that I didn't grow up my parents made a, you know a lot of opportunities for me so I'm very thankful for that but I mean I'm just like I'm just proud of the career that and the life that I've been able to build for myself so that's one but then the second is is definitely like the teams and the impact that I've had on people. Like I, I look at, you know, I can now look at, for example, the team that I built when I was at hotels.com, I did a lot of hiring and I brought a lot of people into that product organization and my leaders that worked for me in that, in that role now have gone on in their own rights to be chief product officers and like, and we're in touch and we still communicate. And I like, like the impact that I've had on people, I think is what I'm most proud of. Not that I'm taking credit for their careers, but I think I've done something to help them launch in it, right? And it just makes me feel really happy to see that other people go on to really amazing things. I love that. Yeah. I mean, you can't really put a a, a measurement on that or a price tag like at all. That's just part of being a good person and doing good work. And you see what what happens as a result of that. Yeah, makes me feel good. Makes me feel good yeah. if people still want to stay in touch with me too. Cause I'm like, obviously we had some sort of a positive working relationship that we are still in touch and yeah, want to work together. So. Absolutely. Okay. What is one or two of the biggest lessons you've Well, one, I think is what we touched on already with like having an advocate or a sponsor, which I yeah. think to me is much different than a mentor. Like they're career changers. Easier said than done, right? Like I think oftentimes you stumble into getting those people, but I think that's just something that like lesson learned, like to be aware of what, like, if you don't have those people figure out how to build that around you or go someplace where it can be more like that, because I think that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big difference maker for people's careers. And then I think probably the second lesson learned, let's see, can figure out, I think, um, I think it's sort of the, the converse to what I just said, which is like, things don't really happen unless you go make them happen. Like you can't just sit around and wait for like your advocate to make things happen. Like you have to be pretty proactive in your career, which I think, and it's like a women in tech, you know, focused podcast. I think that's very hard for very, a lot of women. And I do think that, but I do think that that's such a difference maker. Like 
things aren't just going to fall in your lap. You have to be a little bit proactive for how you how you go make things happen. So find an advocate and be your own. <laughs> That's a good way of saying yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So important because I think sometimes people, I do, I do think it's people, myself included, can fall into a rut or a habit or, or just like a, just not even, just a rut of like, you're just kind of going in doing the day-to-day stuff and you're not thinking bigger or I'm not thinking bigger. I'm not thinking like, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? Like this stuff isn't just going to come knock on my door and, and, and come to me and I've got to also go after it. So I, I like how both sides of advocacy is important and, and that's a that's a good call out. I agree. Yeah, you 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 had asked something in the pre-questions about like people who are getting stuck. And I think that's one thing to think about, right? Like when you're stuck, like only you can change being stuck, right? Like yep. I think it, you can be the victim of it's like all these things around me or yep. you can decide you're going to go change it. And be proactive about how you're going to change it. Get the feedback to figure out why you are stuck. Like ask other people, go look, you know, like go figure out, figure out what you want for yourself. Cause just sitting there and being like, oh, this has been happening for me. That's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to change anything. No, it's going to perpetuate the issue and you're just going to further stay stuck. And yeah, I agree. Yep. yep. Actually, that was my next question. So oh, you, you okay. answered, I don't do it. <laughs> You answered that perfectly. So what do you see for the future? When I loved it, actually, when we started talking about this yesterday, when we had our quick prep call, you you said something and I'm like, oh, you're so right. And you're like, I'm frustrated that we even have to be talking about this still. Like, you know, or I don't know if you said frustrated, but, you know, it's exasperating that we still have to like be like kind of siloing off like these women in tech conversations. And and I'd love to get your thoughts, but my response to that was like, yeah, me too. And I, I wish we didn't have to. However, my personal experience has been that we still need some sort of circle for women in tech, given my professional experience. And so I'd love to know just what you see as for the future for women in tech and what needs to happen to get us to this to a really, really great spot where we don't even have to have like women in tech special conversations anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's a tough one. Like I said, I, I, yeah, I do feel like, oh my gosh, how are we still talking about this a little bit? But, but then mm-hmm. again, I think back in the early stage of my career, we were talking zero about it to the, to the extent that I didn't even realize it wasn't normal to be <laughs> only the only woman in a you know class of uh, eighty or ninety people. So, so obviously, we've come a long way that there's open dialogue about it. But I think one, it will only change when people, when there are role models and leaders that people can, can sort of look up to and see themselves as those people and want to be them, right? Because I think buying with people really helps people like like chart out a path. I think it also gets back to the advocacy. Like as a woman, I, you know, I mentor like four or five people at my company or if I wouldn't my company. And looking at Ash. My cat and who's invited (laughs) to join the conversation. So I think that it also will take women advocating for other women. I also think that the, the last thing I'll say about women in tech is like, even if you look at my career, right? Like you can say I'm in tech, you can say I'm not in tech anymore. Like I work in a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business, right? Like there's a lot of ways to be in tech. And so I think that's the other thing to think about for women is like, you might say, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not interested in working in, you know, XYZ company, but there's way more than like, three technology companies in this world where you can go be a woman in tech. Um, <laughs> totally. 
and like yes. and do really interesting work in an environment or a culture that is really exciting to you. And so I'd also just say like, I mean, like it or not, technology is a part of the way that every company is going to function for the rest of our lives and beyond. And so kind of have to get involved in some way. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a developer, but there's so many ways that to get involved in it. And there's so many different types of companies, but like this is kind of the future. So it's here, right? So there's a lot of ways to, to, I think, bridge the gap and kind of maybe even open our mind about how we define women in tech. Mm. I love, yes. Think about how we define women in tech. Like, are we talking about engineers yeah. or are we talking about women in technology companies? Because there's so many oppor- you know, opportunities to influence the way that tech, and this is why I think it's important. Like, I think it's, there's so many ways to influence the way that technology is being used to shape humankind. Yeah. And I think it's important that women have a voice in that because, you know, obviously we're 50% of the world. If not mm-hmm. slightly more, I know we might be more than So like we should be building products that are applicable to that half of the, the you know, of society and women can help us make sure that they are relevant and applicable to yeah. that half of the world. And building careers for, you know, the workforce that works for, for women as well. Women often have different responsibilities than men when yep. it comes to what's yep. happening at home. So in addition to the products that are are out there, also like how do we build a workforce and help women create lives around their careers that works for them, where they can stay in the workforce, and so yeah. that they can have meaningful careers and be in leadership positions. Yeah, and I think if you look to Scandinavian countries who no. have women, you know, who set the records in terms of women mm-hmm. in C level and board level roles, it's because they have a economic you know, they have like a social infrastructure around work and women in work that helps women get to those levels. So there's a lot we can, we can learn. There's a lot of societal change that needs to happen. That's only going to happen when there, you know, there have to be women paving the way to make those changes happen. I agree. I agree. Well, my next question was, why is it important to have women in tech? But I think we covered it. Unless there's like, anything yeah, else. Yeah. I can't just jump and bring it. Yeah, no, it's important to have women in I tech because we are half of a society. And mm-hmm. so... We should make sure that the tech and the companies represent the best interests of that half of the population. Half of the population of the world. I agree. Well, on that note, Mira, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you want to mention or anything else you want to say to listeners out there who are considering a career in tech or who want to like be a leader in tech or want to be an advocate for themselves or others? Is there anything else that you want to, you would like to say or? I feel like you did a good job covering everything. I mean, I did, I would probably just say like, you know, what I said before, which is a lot of ways to be a woman in tech. It doesn't mean that, Mm -hmm. you know, it has to be the stereotype of what you think it is and things will happen for you as you try to make them happen. So I think jump in, I guess that's all I'd say. I I agree. Jump in. Well, on that (laughs) note, where can people find you if they want to continue the conversation with you or join your um, <laughs> I'm on I'm on I'm on Twitter and giving that platform still exists. you are in I like, didn't even know you were on Twitter yeah yeah well, what's going on I mean assuming Twitter still exists I'm at Twitter <laughs> at, at Mira underscore B you can find me there and if Twitter doesn't exist in the future I will figure out where I am next <laughs> in three years when people are listening to this podcast like, wow. I'm hoping LinkedIn will be there you are a I think, like, you can also find me on LinkedIn yeah 
Well, Mira, thank you for being here today. This is a lovely conversation and I learned a lot and I hope the listeners did too. And I really appreciate your time and thank you, Shearcat, for for his cameo. He's more than welcome to join next time if you're if you come back. So thank you. Look at him. Thanks, Holly. I really had fun. Thank you. I appreciate it. Are you curious if your business idea will actually work? Don't worry, I've got you. Your best business idea starts here at hollynoll.com slash free. Go to the link and download my free business action guide. In this guide, you'll map your skills and expertise to build a profitable business idea. You'll solidify an irresistible offer that turns contacts into clients. And you'll implement my step-by-step framework to quickly land your very first client. Thank you for joining me this week on the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and you chose to be here with me. And for that, I am truly grateful to you. For more information on today's episode and this podcast, visit hollynoll.com slash podcast where you can find links discussed in the shows and connect directly with my guests. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you enjoyed today's show, share your rating on iTunes. Or if you'd rather tell a friend about the show, that would mean the world. And remember, check out my free business action guide at hollynoll.com slash free. Or for more business building tools, visit the consultant code on Instagram. Until next time, keep taking action to build your business.